You are listening to the Teaching Matters podcast, a podcast created by the University of Edinburgh to debate and celebrate learning and teaching in higher education. In this episode, episode 15, Poppy Gerard Abbott and Amy Andrida, both PhD sociology candidates in the School of Social and Political Science, discuss issues around the role of teaching from a feminist perspective, the link between feminist activism and teaching, and the place of peer support in the university. Happy listening. Hello, University of Edinburgh. So my name is Poppy Gerard Abbott and I'm a PhD sociology candidate, uh, second year, and I guess I can call myself a feminist activist. Yes. Yeah, that's me underplaying myself, isn't it? As we do as Very women. feminine of you. Yeah. I'm also uh, a tutor here at Edinburgh and I'm joined by Amy Andrada. Would you like to introduce yourself, yeah. Amy? Um, I am a PhD sociology uh, doctoral candidate in, um, at Edinburgh. I'm also a lecturer in the States. I've been teaching for about 10 years and research about 15 years. And I'm at Edinburgh teaching and um, tutoring and doing my research and writing on my PhD. So uh, I'll just briefly mention to you why uh, what the kind of process behind um, coming to this podcast has been. So I, I was asked to to speak and I was racking my brains thinking um, who would be the perfect companion for a difficult and, and engaging and hopefully <laughs> profound conversation on this beautiful Friday morning. And Amy yes. was the person that kind of consistently stuck in my mind as the right person, the right fit for this. Um, Thank you, Poppy. Because uh, we have really supportive, engaging, feminist, fiery conversations yeah, with each other absolutely. where we disagree and agree and everything on that spectrum, everything in the middle. And, and there's uh, always a really fluid debate. And nothing's off limits, which yeah. uh, which I love. There's no tiptoeing around. There's no, you know, even though there's we're talking about sensitive topics and we may have our own personal endeavors and experiences, we kind of preface that with like, well, what do you think? And this is my understanding of it. And we move in that space, like just really wanting to understand. And I think that's the beauty of being a researcher, the beauty of being part of, not only that, a teacher, is like we're always trying to understand and express what we what we don't, what we do or do not know, and understand that that's a co-developed and co-produced interaction, right? So I'm going to put uh, this question to you, Amy, yeah. uh, so that I have time to think of my right. answer. Uh, what does teaching matters mean to you? So the yeah, the title of this uh, podcast series is Teaching Matters. What does that term mean to you? Um, well, teaching for me as an educator, it, it was aligned with being a researcher. So teaching, of course, is the foundation of knowledge. But how do you how do you encourage people to engage with knowledge? And how do you mm. um, express um, that sentiment without, you know, pummeling someone through something or forcing them to sit through something? And I think that's where teaching kind of falls, you know, falls by the wayside at, t- at times. So, I mean, what one as as a teacher and as an educator, I'm always looking at teaching as a form of activism. Um, particularly as a woman and as a feminist, I have very few spaces to mm. move in between, and I have very limited time to move between those spaces. Mm. So, I learned really early on in my career that 
even though I had an idea what teaching was, it didn't, I didn't understand that what, what that was until application. And in the classroom, I realized that I could have a whole plethora of information, a plethora of knowledge. And it didn't matter if, if my, if I wasn't engaging with my students, it just fundamentally didn't matter. No one would hear what I had to say. And that's when I learned mm. to realize that, oh, this is, this is a co-produced interaction. This is co-developed. And I have to see where my students are and meet them halfway and then encourage them and ask them to walk with me to where I'm trying to go with them. And we go together as a group. And it's never one direction. And that's when I realized, oh, this is a form of activism because I'm bringing into the room my lens. I'm bringing into the room my experiences. And when I first started teaching, I took a very philosophical approach and, and unfortunately a very masculine approach because I thought that's what professors did because that was my uh, perso- right. that was the persona I was exp- experiencing. And I was very removed, like, oh, it's just theory. It's just this. It's just research. And then I realized that as a woman and, and the expectations of me as a woman, whether I agreed with them or not, it required me to bring in personal interaction, required personal experience, even though I was remarkably uncomfortable with that setting. But I realized that it was a teaching tool, that if I re- responded to my students or responded to my audience in a way that I was accessible, then it was a tactic to engage. Then it was incentive to engage. And then I got half the battle done. And then that's when learning really started taking place once they trusted me and once they learned that I was that I was um, receptive and that I had experiences, whether as a biracial woman, as an American, as an immigrant, as a child of an immigrant, as a single mother, as a poor woman, whatever, that I realized that those were advantages to bring into the room mm. um, and the mother of a man to be, things like that. Like these, and I was raised by men, like I'm as complex as you. So I promise whatever experiences you have, I've had some version of that. And if I can get from where I am to here and I can still be willing to learn, there's no reason why you can't either. And then then I got my students' attention. And I realized that that was my goal as a teacher. Activism isn't just, is is not about propelling or projecting anything into your ideologies. It's really about moving together in a space with other people towards a point of challenging what you think you know. Even me, as, as I've been doing research for 15 years and I'm still questioning what I know. And I think that's an advantage of being in the study and teaching because it never, it's not one direction. Oh, yeah. That was, like, remarkably long. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It was great. Uh, Yeah, you're always learning from your students. And I'm I'm really interested in that idea of co-construction, right? Right, right. What does does teaching matter to you, though? So, drawing on the kind of uh, gendered elements of what you were just saying and um, bringing things back to the conversation that we had prior to this recording Uh in, in a coffee shop... Uh, Teaching matters, uh, I think, is quite a a radical statement that relates to the subordination of teaching in a research institution that has this kind of uh, binary logic to it, doesn't it, of of masculine and and feminine that is particularly present in research institutions Mm -hmm. and elitist institutions and Russell Group universities Mm -hmm. where research is um, the the activity that is uh, and the practice that is valued and and funded because of its associations with masculinity and teaching is subordinated because of its associations with femininity. Teaching requires practice right It, and it requires engagement and it requires and, and, and it requires receptivity, all um, all characteristics we assign, we assign with the feminine. Yeah, right? and facilitation, listening, right. nurturing. Right. It's a very caring role. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we need to reconceptualize the feminine associations that teaching has, not to uh, equate it then with masculinity and try and make mm-hmm. teaching a you know, have a masculine essence, but actually to reconceptualize our value um, that 
those feminine attributes have in relation to teaching that nurturing and, and caring and facilitation and strong listening skills um, are all actually powerful and uh, wonderful attributes to have that we should that we should celebrate celebrate and kind of rebalance with uh, the value that we give to research. So that's what uh, teaching matters uh, means to me. Also, quite a long-winded and philosophical yeah, yeah. answer. I hope that makes sense to the people. We, we should um, both stop apologizing. For yeah, answering <laughs> these questions fully. That's what we should start doing. I'm talking too much. <laughs> So tell me, Amy, uh, what are the most important aspects of your your past and your life that you bring to your PhD and to your teaching practices? Um, being introduced to teaching and research, I, I, I got the distinct impression I couldn't incorporate who I was into my work, into my teaching, into my approaches, into how I practice my, 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 my work as an expert, as an educator. Um, and then I realized that that was, that was fundamentally untrue. Um, in fact, the exact opposite was true. If I wanted to be a better teacher, I had to incorporate parts of who I was. If I wanted to be a better researcher, mm. my experiences and my understandings, um, which were which are vastly different than most people in academia, because I don't come from privilege and I um, and I don't come from and I come from a very very mixed and diverse background. I realized that those were pivotal to my to my research um, because it taught me what where to look and what and what what other people weren't looking at, and it offers another shard to the kaleidoscope of research, which it gives it its strength. Is it, it, it each new shard gives us an understanding of what we're seeing and what we're not seeing so when I moved into research and education I just did not think who I was 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 necessary because there's there's really no platform that really accept, that, that really explained that to me at that point because the pervasive understandings I had were very masculine um, and research is considered to be very moved and, and education is considered to be um, very clearly structured on and you know uh, a B and C type of approaches and then I realized it just wasn't true I, I was I was actually I thought in fact faulted as, as, as an educator if I didn't engage. Um, and that has a lot to do with the expectations of me as a woman. Mm. And that researching women and researching parenting and researching the experiences of intimate experiences required my intimate understanding. Um, and if I were to remove that, I, I wouldn't have access or understanding to my to to my participants. I wouldn't be able to represent them to their fullest ability because I'm just I'm speaking with them. I'm, I'm not speaking for them. And that absolutely challenged me as a researcher and me as an academic and me as a feminist, really, because it makes me question the kind of pedagogy and the understandings that framed what I was doing as I moved into it and realizing, well, that doesn't, that doesn't actually work out to be true. And where is this language? And to me, that's where feminist research comes in. It's like, oh, OK, like, oh, there is a language for this. It's just not pervasive. And I should practice this a bit more. Sure. Whatever. Maybe a better question is how do you reconcile your life with working in an elitist institution? Um, uh, uh, unsuccessfully, <laughs> to be quite, I mean, I'm struggling, of course, um, for financial reasons, for the fact that I have a family and I'm in academia, which is really uncommon for women. Um, and I'm at a place where I'm, most women my age don't have families and are in academia. I'm, I'm relatively young to, to have a child my age. Um, so I find there's constant conflict all the time. And yet, amongst other women and amongst other feminists who in, in academia and in activist circles who want to challenge the system and, and want to expand their, their, you know, their options, I'm always the first person in the room like, well, what you're, what you're doing is making an argument for your position, not your future position, because I'm already there. Mm. And I promise you in academia, there are only two options for women is you don't have children or you do. 
because you have children, you're you're going to right. leave, and I'm already right. there, kind of struggling with this, re- being reminded. Here I am, yeah. much amongst a room full of activists, and a room full of feminists, and a room full of educators who are highly aware of the constraints, the structural constraints, um, the intimate constraints, the family responsibilities, and all these other things um, that aren't actually doing anything for people like me. And so I hear that in the room, and I'm like, mm, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's no support for families. There's no support for women with families. Absolutely. Um, there's the guys that we care, and that's not necessarily. It's just it's just a guy. So when I hear about support from other women, I hear about support for feminists. I'm always like, well, where is that? So are you talking about your position now, or are you talking about the position going forward? Because I can promise you, there's there's a limit. There's a limited latitude between those two points. So I find myself struggling because of what my ideologies are and what I'm practicing mm. to be an activist, mm. to be a mother, to be a partner, to move into these circles, and realizing I'm going to fail because the structures are designed mm. to ensure that I fail, and I can't move as fast as someone who doesn't have a family. I can't move as fast as someone who has financial support all the time. I can't move all the, in in these ways as much as. I would like to, and I'm and I'm quite educated. I'm quite um, practiced in my, in my in my discipline. So if I'm struggling with all my career expertise and all my teaching experience, what does it say about someone who's who's trying to move into that field? What does it say about their opportunities? So that's where my contention kind of lies. Is like like you know, how do you navigate it? Well, just to pick up on something before I um, I answer that question myself, even the words you're using there suggests a kind of deficiency. If yeah. you are. Um, in any of the kind of othered groups within right. the sphere of academia. Right. So you're not as fast as your colleagues. But I think that's to do with the way that we construct the terms of academia, right? right. It should be open to, to mothers or to working class women. But we're operating on the terms of of men and of people right. who don't have children. Right. So I'm just interested in in the language that you use yeah, there. Yeah, I've, I've embodied it. Yeah, and the internalization. Yeah, of, um, absolutely, I've embodied it. But what's, what's interesting terms. is that even when I talk to my advisors and my colleagues, that's I'll use the same language and they'll correct me. What do you mean you're you, you're not doing? I come in the room like, oh, I haven't really done anything this month. They're like, okay, what'd you do? And um, and I'll literally go through a litany of the things I've done. Like I've developed five online classes, and I had a publication that just came out, and I'm just working with my son with his homework, like t- two hours at least every day of the week. And and you know she'll look at me, and my colleagues will look at me. Like, you just gave me a list of really impressive things. I'm like, but in my head, I haven't done anything. And you don't conceptualize and it I, as yeah, work, right? Yeah, because it hasn't. It's not clearly produced. It's not. It takes me a year to get a publication. It takes you know all the research, all the teaching I do is very unseen. You know, all the labor. I I do and I participate it's unseen you know it's all front-loaded work it's invisible and and yet the emotional labor that goes with practicing that and, and doing it every day and day in and day out is just unseen although I do get paid for it like something eventually um there in my head I'm like oh I haven't produced anything of quality I haven't produced anything of substance but everything I'm doing is I'm practicing everything I'm doing and practicing my activism and that's I think the part of activism and feminism that is largely invisible it's the fact that it the everydayness of it and the fact that it's you can't just sum it up and, and sell it really relatively easily and package it. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I'm just interested in the ways that uh, words like ineffective, unproductive, yeah. uneconomic uh, are used to often describe uh, mums in the workplace and in education. But that's a that's, that's a, a whole, topic yeah, that we could yeah, go yeah. on what about. about you? for you're, you're asking me days. all these questions. Where are your answers? Yeah, sure. You're, 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 um, yeah, you're I'm deflecting evading, from my own evading. past. So, my mum is uh, the kind of strongest feminist that you'll you'll ever come across, and she um, really influenced me in my childhood and fed me. Uh, 
like kids feminist books like feminist books for children uh when I was really young and um was indoctrinating me from when I could speak (laughs) (laughs) to like not change my name when I get married and okay you know to work for my money and (laughs) you know quite maybe quite um neoliberal ideas of feminism now I look back on it um again that's something else that I could probably write a book about so uh, my journey as, as a feminist and as a feminist researcher and activist started from yeah, about 1.5 years of age. <laughs> and, and so I, I grew up with this, um, this lens that made me feel like so alienated um, because I could see things that other people couldn't. It, mm-hmm. it made me feel like I was, like I was crazy yeah. mm-hmm. because from so young I could notice... Uh, you know, gendered dynamics and everyday sexism and and violence and inequality. And I, I paid attention to those things. Yeah. So it was inevitable, I think, that I was going to um, find research interests in that area. And then when I was about 15, I started to notice that um, all of, you know, me and, and my friends were always being sexually harassed in the street yeah. mm-hmm. and um, or sexually assaulted at, at parties. Yeah. And so that's when my interest uh, steered towards gender-based violence. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when I went to um, the University of Essex, where I did my undergraduate and master's degrees, uh, my dissertations um, focused on lad culture at British universities and um and the kind of broader kind of gender-based violence uh, topic of gender-based violence um so that's the place that I come to with Mm -hmm. with you know to my PhD and and my teaching um that's my passion it really it still sets me on fire I'm always learning Mm. um I learn something new in every single conversation I have with uh with women and in every observation I have of of gender inequality um and I have so many people to thank for the the knowledge that I have uh, today, and I hope to kind of keep moving in the the interse- you know towards the intersectional um, elements of, of feminism that people like you, Amy, um, really kind of nurture uh, my understanding of. So thank you. Oh, yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> oh I'm getting choked up. No, okay. <laughs> good, good. Get choked up, girl. That's what <laughs> we do. No apologies. No apologies. So moving on to the topic of uh, community. So this was the original subject we were we were kind of asked to look at um, today on the podcast. Uh, but we will obviously, um, you know, apply a feminist lens to that and talk about that in a in a feminist context. Mm-hmm. So, do you think there is a feminist community at Edinburgh? Do you think there's sisterhood? What does sisterhood look like to you? Um, I'm coming from an American context, so compared to an American context, absolutely. Um, but that doesn't mean it's significant. Right. I mean, based on the ideologies of Americans, we're very autonomous. We we keep we we paint we maintain the illusion and practice the notion of individuality. So we're much we're like individuals in a group and how we approach things. And the first time I really saw feminism in practice beyond these kind of spurts that we have in the states of you know the women's the women's march, which I participated in several times. Um, that's when I really saw like an everydayness at the university here, which I thought was remarkably impressive. Um, but even though it's Present and people are practicing, and there's a language for it largely because of the community that supports it and the cultures that's in the culture here that supports that as well. Um, I, I find that community to be really strained, right? It's still identity politics, 
it's still women who are coming sure. from privileged backgrounds, women, yeah. women that have an agenda that are liberal based and economic based, of course. And I, I see that I see the inconsistencies in that argument. And and what what I do is see a platform for the argument, which I think is the strength, right? It exists, something we don't um, have in practice really in the state as much as we want to think we do. And we talk about neoliberalism and talk about we just package feminism and we sell it. And it's we're really quite blatant about it. And then it's always about our conveniences. And here there is a practice everydayness to it, which I think is phenomenal. Um, but I do see the inconsistencies in in in, in the community. Um, we should work. We you know, for instance, we were at a we were at a, a meeting, um, and I, it was really much about well, women, sh- you know, women should be supported, and our issues should be contended with. And it's like whose issues should be contended with? Who is it? Who needs to be supported? Because there's vo- multiple versions of us in the room. And well, what I find interesting about women is that we'll hit some markers. Well, we all want children. We'll socialize to want children. We'll all want to be partnered. We've all been partnered. Um, and and we all want to want to have be aesthetically attractive. And these are the foundational aspects of femininity. And yet we're only really focusing on one one issue, which is your issue and where is everyone else in the room i always find that really remarkable at the feminist argument the identity of politics that get trapped into it so as a researcher and as a feminist i'm always trying to unwrap that well where are we going together and who's not coming with us and really where where is the practice right. of this right because i think being in the position of difference you can see that all the time and it makes you much more heightened and much more aware so i'm a critique uh, i'm a critic of it as much as i am a supporter of it and if i'm not a, a critic of it i'm not doing my job as a feminist right i'm not doing my job as a researcher in my objectivity and even if i'm using a feminist lens or not i need to be objective and i can see kind of the ideology that's crept into the room so i i, I you know I, I see it practiced here but not. But I think it's very much trapped with the same trappings of any any other politic as identity politics gets gets in gets in the way. And what we as as a community, what we as researchers are capable of doing, since we have access to the body of knowledge and we're contributing new knowledge, we should be able to critique our own our own notions and remove our ideologies from our practices, and 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 see how we can move together. This is really what we want to do, you know. That's uh, full of interesting stuff. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm like, wow, there's so many avenues to go down there. <laughs> so I think that um, I found that the university feminist community is, is slightly hidden at Edinburgh. And I had to go and find it rather mm-hmm. than it coming to find okay. me. And So coming from two different positions, we saw it differently. Yeah. yeah. So... I think that the university has many incredible feminist uh, scholars yeah, and experts. Absolutely, brilliant ones. But one of the kind of age-old problems when it comes to engaging people in feminist ideas and building feminist communities is that the people that show up to feminist discussions are people who already, on some level, who know, uh, who know the agree topic. with yeah, those yeah, ideas. Yeah. 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 And uh, it seems to kind of always engage the the same groups of of people, which is affecting the um, uh, effectiveness um, and dissemination of of these ideas. And also, uh, and this is a problem that I've noticed at all universities, so it's cross-institutional and and across all workplaces, it's nothing specific to the University of Edinburgh. But I think it's particularly potent at uh, elitist institutions is... Um, that the labour around organising um, feminist 
community events and feminist academic events always falls on the shoulders of the women it affects most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are the women that feel that there is an urgency to organising events and getting a message out there. So it's often the working class women or, or the women of colour that are doing all of the that are carrying um, this kind of burden on their shoulders that's very time consuming and emotionally taxing and, and therefore also kind of uh, can have financial impacts and, and many other um, psychological and, and social impacts uh, on them. They're doing, they're pulling the, the weight on organising um, these events. And I think, uh, linking back to something I was saying earlier, I think there is also a, a subordination of, of feminist ideas uh, to some extent, even within sociology, which is, oh, yeah. uh, you know... Oh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> there is a, yeah, a I mean, hierarchy. What topics are funded, Yeah, right? right. I mean, gender is rarely, if ever, funded. Yeah. Um, family research is rarely, if ever, funded. Um, even gender research on masculinities, I mean, that has more funding than anything, anything yeah, else. Yeah, and economic sociology... Yeah, that's always funded. Uh, you know, is, is funded, but, you know, research on, on super urgent... Um, uh, topics like uh, gender-based violence. So my PhD is specifically on sexual violence in the university sectors, and uh, this is a super, you know, urgent topic. And yet, um, I am self-funded, right. and I know people doing projects on, um, you know, subjects that are kind of more widely um, appreciated in the field uh, because of this hierarchy that get funding at the drop of a hat. Highly appreciated. Those because gender is widely appreciated so i don't think i don't think that's actually accurate i think it's the ones that are um that have that have that have an agenda like economics right that we we think about turnaround you know that's really about production right we think about turnaround if gender is doesn't have a clear turnaround right it takes 20 years to see the evidence mm. kind of fall out for these arguments fall through for these arguments um but also the kind of the esotericness of academia there's that that's part of the elitism of it and you know gender is is an applicable topic so why aren't we talking about it more regularly why why isn't it why isn't the feminist lens practiced more often um it's because it it, it removes the notion of, of of um of of anything that's specialized right it, it, that's what i think at times when i yeah when i hear that it, like that, that's what yeah. I find interesting when I find these 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 areas of research funded. I'm like, well, you know, isn't as a sociologist in particular, we study things that affect groups of people, mass populations. So why isn't gender examined? Why why isn't it funded from that perspective? That makes no sense to me, right? Why why? Is, yeah, you know, I just find it quite quite odd. And also, there's an individualized culture at universities at universities that inhibits um, community but, yeah. and feminist community building, and that obviously relates to the marketization of universities right, yeah. and the neoliberalization yeah, of universities. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and I do find that this kind of dog-eat-dog, competitive, mm-hmm. one-upmanship culture that is, you know, facilitated by the funding environment and, and by this, this hierarchy yeah. of disciplines within disciplines yeah, yeah, yeah. makes it extremely difficult to come up with these kind of collective right. goals, right, um, right, particularly right. as feminists. Right, absolutely. Anyway, moving on to... Um, we have a podcast in every one of these. I, I know. What a nightmare. <laughs> but also a beautiful yeah, 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 situation exactly. and uh, conversation. Uh, what does feminist teaching look like to you? What does an activist approach to teaching look like? How do you make that come alive in your classrooms? Um, I think what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast about um, not shying away from my position and, and arguing that I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely capable in being objective. I have a lens. 
um, and I can see other people's lenses, right? That's where the objective aspect comes into the research. Like regardless of our background, we can understand like for instance, most women will hit similar markers, right? And so that these are prominent issues for most women regardless of quote difference. Um, and the same thing for men and masculinity and the content and the issues that they'll contend with in, in the job force, which is largely linked to who they think they are. Um, so I think being able to understand that our subjectivities can be accommodated you know, into a perspective in which we can fully see. And not conducive. Yeah, to oh, effective teaching. Ab absolutely. But in, in engaging at the individual level, acknowledging my position, acknowledging my, my difference, and, and more or less remarking, here I come from this background and I've managed to get to where I am, not despite who I am, but because of who I am, is something I've, I've never really mm. heard in the classroom. And, I, and, I, and that gets my engagement with, the, with the, my students. Because my goal is ultimately, how do I reach my student? And, and, if, and that's also my goal in any activism approach. How do I reach this audience? And, and, and am I listening to the audience in kind? Am I, and, and is, this co, is this being co-developed simultaneously? So, it, so there's like feminist values right. of, in research as well yeah. uh, of kind of cooperation and trying to establish non-hierarchical relationships. Right, absolutely. And I use that lens in my research. I've had to. Otherwise, I, I can't. I can't, I can't access um, the people and, and the data that, is, that can be produced from them. Um, and, and if I don't do that, it limits it. Act, it I told, like I said earlier, it's, it's rather inhibiting when it comes to me being as a successful researcher and a successful feminist and as an, as an educator, which I did, like I said earlier, I didn't anticipate that being an issue in the classroom because that's not how I was presented with what teaching was and how it was practiced. And I realized that if I didn't do it, I would fail my students. And that, and, and I realized it was, a, it was an approach that I needed to utilize, regardless of whether or not I fundamentally agreed with it. It was about what, what was necessary for my audience. And if I'm an educator, I need to humble myself to that point mm. to engage at that level because if that's what they need, I need to practice that. Mm. And that also means I'm missing something in the room, right? If I'm not adhering and understanding and, and, and listening to them, because then it then it becomes a subordinate, oppressive mm. environment, right? Yeah. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to and I'm going to direct you. And so I'm departing. Yeah, yeah. third wall, <laughs> which I I don't agree with, and it makes me remarkably uncomfortable. It has its moments for why it's necessary at times, but for the most part, I realize like, well, no, this is both of us in the room this isn't whack and forth and that's something I often tell my students like even though I know quote what we're talking about I don't know how you see it I don't know what you're taking from it you need to talk to me you need to communicate with me effectively and you need to learn how to engage with you know authority figures something poor poor students don't know how to do because they're taught if this is a negative interaction um you I, I don't know interfere right, authority right, yes right. so it gives me an opportunity to not only you know, engage with an idea with my students, it gives me an opportunity to practice those ideas in motion and that they get to learn that in, in, the, in that environment, whether it's in a one-off public lecture or whether it's in a classroom setting that lasts for two to four months, depending on my class or, you know. Um, but I, I do this, that's what I think feminism and feminist activism in the classroom has taught me, that, that whatever, like the most personal aspects of who I am are pivotal to my engagement. They're not undermining my engagement. They're not removed from my engagement. They're, they don't they don't they don't compromise my engagement. It's quite the opposite. And I was not introduced to that when I first moved into research and I first moved into teaching. Mm. And I remember just kind of being floored by that. Like, oh like I get to be who I am. In fact, if I'm not this person, I'm less successful in the room. I'm less mm. qualified at my job. And I and these are things that aren't normally taught. So I was really surprised to find that out in the room and because I was operating with a different body of knowledge, right? Wow, that's like refreshingly human. <laughs> what you've just said to accept your own humanness and to cut out your own kind of uh, example for what for what teaching looks like. So to me, uh, feminist approaches to teaching, um, 
I might not have an obvious answer uh, and I'm not going to uh, be really academic and sociological in this answer. Uh, my answer to this is perhaps uh, chimes on a more emotional level that it means allowing for mistakes yeah. and allowing that humanness, legitimising it and uh, making space for emotional expression and connecting what goes on inside the classroom with outside, situating it in our own lives and also being applying our discipline to our practice in the classroom. So not having theory and whatever we're learning as something that's over there, right. but actually something we move with and, and embody and um, incubate in, mm. in our practice and in our words and in how we enter a classroom and move in a classroom. So one of the uh, wonderful things that I think a feminist lens has given me is... Uh, the ability to understand power in the academy and in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. So I will pay attention to the dynamics between my students, between myself and, and my students. Mm. I've, I've kind of uh, gone through a kind of consciousness raising process around that and become self-actualized around my interactions with students. Um, but that also has... Um, really uh, challenging aspects to it. So I'm now hyper aware, for example, of, of how my male students treat me. I, uh, I experience, yeah. as a lot of um, women teachers do, uh, a lot of sexism from, from male students mm -hmm. and dismissal and undermining. It's not just male students. Female oh, yeah, have their own absolutely. emotional demanding rapport. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And um, that's one of the reasons why misogyny and patriarchy are so successful as as, as, as structures is that they are upheld by more than 50% of the population. Yeah. Absolutely. But I find it's it's particularly, um, you know, acute in regards to but male that, but, that, but that also speaks to your positionality, right? As a woman and feminists or not, you're yeah. going to have to experience this in academia, no matter what. There will you will contend with power yes. interactions. Yeah. Not, and when we normally think of power interactions, we normally think as lecturers or researchers, our managers, our administrative interactions, which are fundamentally there, and those are quite clear to see. And and we have a, we have language and policy to that, that that attends to it, but. When it comes to our student interactions and 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 our and our collegial interactions, our own colleagues, that isn't really spoken about as clearly. And, and what we have is really well, a, we don't analyze power in yeah, those and dynamics those as much as we should. And women are, regardless of your position, you will have to engage with this, and you will be aware that there are power dynamics. And whether between you and students, or you and colleagues, or you and new, new you know new colleagues, or you know and you and, you and outside the, the academia. Simply because of the position of being a woman in this environment, right? Mm. Being a woman in general already entails that that will happen to you. But and these are things that, that aren't really experienced amongst amongst men um, and aren't experienced amongst men in academia, particularly if they're teaching or engaging with, with colleagues. The, this power dynamic isn't quite as robust in that way. Um, and it's not something they have to be conscientious of all the time. So I think the fact that you're speaking about it says a lot about your positionality. It's not despite your positionality. Right? Yeah, absolutely. A absolutely. And, and one final comment before we move on to the next question what another really important aspect of feminist teaching to me is uh, opening feminism as activism and as theory up to as many people as possible. So making it accessible um, really is at the kind of beating heart of my intentions because uh, I think that 
feminism for you know class reasons has become as you know um, an orthodoxy um, as has many other aspects of of sociology and the social sciences and that orthodoxy is a kind of form of elitism in itself and I think that it's really important that we allow our students um male and female to uh, to make mistakes in the room uh, with their language um, and and with their ideas as they're on that developmental really? journey Absolutely. so that they engage right. um, and, and access feminism um, and I, th- I always emphasize to students to kind of come as they are um, to the discussion um, so that uh, they don't feel from the get-go that they're doing something wrong and I think mm. if we if we like police the boundaries of feminism in that way or any other topic or or discipline then uh, we are shutting it off to people who may not necessarily have the tools or the language or the resources to to engage with it absolutely and that is also a a, you know a class issue that comes back to the topic of what teaching how teaching matters and why it matters right Mm. what what this looks like and and acts like one thing i tell my students quite often is it because students come into the room thinking i have to have a right wrong answer it's either it's either this a or b right and i'm like well learning and teaching doesn't work like that it's it's an it's an evolutionary in a developmental process it's another a or b so they're coming in with with an understanding from where they've come from yeah with this like punitive yeah disciplinary idea of education what i tell them when they come to the room and i'm not necessarily an advocate for quote safe spaces because it has there's a political ideology that we can't debate right and i'm i'm fundamentally against that what i do encourage the students to do is you can come in you participate in the discussion please participate in discussion because we don't know how you practice your language you need to learn how to engage with these new concepts and practice them you're going to get them wrong of course we understand that there needs to be room and latitude to move in that space and there needs to be a space that supports that engagement and supports those those challenges and support quote getting it wrong and you're allowed to come in the room and do that I tell my students that you're not but you aren't allowed to come in the room and spread hate you aren't allowed to come in the room and spread misog- spread misogyny and bigotry. And if that's your practice, fine. You can do that outside the room and come back when you want to come, when you want to learn how to practice this. Or you can come and talk to me privately and we can talk about how to practice this in the classroom. That's fine. I'm not saying you can't have the debate. I'm saying you, you, can, you need to engage in this in a positive format. That's what I'm saying. But you are not going to not have the opportunity to not practice this. That's what we're doing in the room. And I think the SAFE model tells people you can't have a counter argument. And that's fun, and that and that undermines exactly what education is. How are we expecting our students to engage with us and to trust this environment if we tell them they're wrong from the get go and that they can't practice their notions in that environment? I mean, that that to me, that's quite that's significantly undermining. So that's what that's my approach to my students. Like I I didn't like I twenty two. My notions were very different than they are now. Like I've had well, to practice that. That leads me on very nicely to my next question, which is. What is most frustrating about trying to build feminist communities? So we've spoken um, together at length about divisive debates uh, in universities and within the feminist movement, such as uh, sex worker and trans inclusion. Um, Yeah, which, as I say, are are massively topical issues at the moment in uh, particularly uh, student activist movements. So um, do you care to share elements of those uh, conversations? And uh, let's just talk a little bit about what we've learned from those conversations. We had a lot of conversations. Yeah. And we we take slightly different positions. but I think in, in an academic environment, um, it's, 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 if, our, if, our, if our pedagogy is really from the position, we need to have a public debate and we need a public engagement and genuine engagement, then we should not be denying anyone an opportunity to practice that on that platform. 
no matter what that what that position is. But what I also think is there is an opportunity and hopefully an opportunity to practice our objective, our, our objectivity and, and, and in knowing other people's subjectivity in that interaction. And what I mean by that, because that's, that's so kumbaya, right? But what I, <laughs> what is, it is. But what I mean by that is if we, it's a Friday. if we aren't practicing what we're, what we're fundamentally preaching is, 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 is our position, then we are failing at our own argument. And I can see why anyone would challenge us, uh, feminists, or challenge the educational platform at the position because we aren't doing the very thing that we are challenging in, in and of itself. You don't like a counter argument, and you won't let us participate in the discussion because it's a counter argument. That's what we're doing in these instances. Now, whether or not I fundamentally agree with a position that's opposite that, that challenges research, more importantly, that challenges objective fact, um, is is irrelevant. What matters is that 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 those groups and and those voices are allowed to be heard, and we can practice that engagement. What happens Happens when I know what I know fundamentally about educating and teaching is that people, if people don't have an opportunity to, to position themselves and, and to vocalize their position, you've already lost your argument. You already have. You don't know your argument until you know the opposition, until you know any counter argument, because then it forces you to challenge what you know, what you think you know, how you came to that position, and, and it denies that position, those, those groups and those voices, an opportunity to question their knowledge as well. Now, I'm obviously that's not fully, you know, bi-directional, and the weights are completely different, and people are operating from different sets of knowledge. But I think if we always pull, especially as academics and researchers and educators, we come back to a position of debate and founding debate on, on social fact and research and, and, and challenging our own notions simultaneously, then there's very little movement outside of that to challenge, um, to stay in just sub- subjectivities. Yes, you're entitled to your position, but collectively, this is what the research is fundamentally telling us, mm. whether or not it even benefits me in my engagement with that research and that's where we find our humanities realizing how we're collectively moving in in a space together so i fundamentally think that they should be able to participate whether or not we agree with them that that to me that's very elitist as well yes if you're referring to the kind of no platforming debate it's a it's a very interesting and and complex one then it moves into ideology right then it's not practice at that point it's ideology and then i'm like oh then i'm a critique of then i'm critic critic of it absolutely like wait wait, wait, this isn't what we're practicing this isn't what we're preaching so why are you denying this opportunity to a group whether it's it's bigotry it's misogynist even though i just said it should move outside the classroom just because it moves that should i think it should move outside the classroom doesn't mean i don't think it there should be a platform for it right and academia is supposed to allow public engagement and public practices of those involvements and even though i said outside the classroom i didn't say they couldn't practice that language and practice those notions in the classroom it's just how they went about it that i'm using a feminist lens with right that that's really what what my position is what about you so i want to uh refer back to a couple of uh key points made in our conversation over coffee this morning Mm -hmm. about this uh on this question so we both agreed that uh feminism and academia are in very exciting uh are in a very exciting period of, of transition right well it always is Right. right. Knowledge and, is always transitioning. Yeah. yeah. And and that's why it's so exciting. Right. Absolutely. But we're both very concerned about uh, how divisive yeah. um, some of these discussions have become. And um, in regards to my personal answer to this question, what I would like to see in the future is an injection of some kindness and compassion into these conversations 
and better communication skills. Because I think um, if we really strip back what uh, both of these, obviously I'm speaking in a kind of very rudimentary and simplistic way, if we broadly, if we strip back what these two camps are, are broadly saying, there are the same concerns oh, yeah. underlying mm-hmm. their politics and their sentiments, which is we want uh, women to be safe, we want children to be safe, we want to be safe, we want women's rights to be safeguarded. Uh, we're both experiencing hate speech, we're both experiencing trolling and bullying and harassment online, mm-hmm. uh, we're both experiencing attacks from an opposing uh, political group. And I think, wow, there must be some empathy that can be that can act as a bridge there. Um, So I'm really concerned about the state of affairs um, in uh, some discussions going on uh, in feminism at the moment, particularly in relation to uh, sex worker inclusion and and trans rights. The fact that we're having the conversation, though. I mean, 10 years ago, we could have never had this conversation publicly. No one would ever listen to us. And the fact that we're here Mm. now says there's progress. No, I'm not saying it's great. I'm not saying it's it's rapid. But the fact that the conversation can be had means progress is somewhere being made, right? It means that there's there's a narrative going on, regardless of whether or not it's accurate. It does mean that it can be accessible, even if it it may be faulted at times. Um, So with the fact that it's there in the room says that that there's something very dynamic about it. And you're right. I think fundamentally it is really about you use kindness and um, and I, I think, right, kindness and seeing the humanity. In that's the, my in, kumbaya moment. <laughs> no, no, right? right? But that's really what it is. I mean, talk, bringing it back to an earlier, the earlier kind of elements we were talking about, or at least I was arguing, that if we fail to see the humanity, we fail to see the opposition, we fail fundamentally, I think, as people. We fail in our position. We fail in, in, in our arguments. We, we fail in our debate. We, we fail in, in accumulating and developing knowledge, which is coming from different sources, most importantly, coming from a source that we may not agree with. Yeah. Right? And, and if we fail to listen to that, and we fail our position. Yeah, that's the thing. You've hit the nail on the head there, and um, you've articulated it slightly better. No, than me. It, we're, it, we're failing to listen, and that's why we're failing to identify the uh, foundation of the intention Mm -hmm. uh, in both sides of the political uh, debate, uh, which is ultimately about uh, having safe and and happy lives and, um, um, you know, seeing equality. Which is the feminist lens. Yeah. In practice, right? Yeah. In practice, Uh, not just in talk, in practice. So although I, as you know, would, if I was to kind of fit myself inside a a box and use kind of orthodox terms, I regard myself to be uh, obviously a a trans inclusive and sex worker inclusive uh, feminist. Mm -hmm. Something that I'd just like to mention before we uh, fire through the last couple of questions, because we've got to wrap up soon. uh, Something that that stuck with me from our conversation earlier Mm -hmm. is that uh, we are we are very good as as activists and academics in in always picking holes in people and uh, tripping people up and trying to find uh, you know uh, things that we can uh, would prove that that person is wrong so that we are right and there's a lot of kind of sanctimonious behaviour going on and orthodoxy but feminism is is held to this. Uh, to this unrealistic, unbelievably yeah. um, 
demanding standard that it was never going to live up to right and it faces a disproportionate um expectation in terms of the communities that it is intended to build its political its political messaging you know no other movement faces the the burdens uh that that feminism does to be to be perfect um and I, i think we need to be we need to practice a little bit more patience with feminism, um, particularly as it's moving through this radical uh, transition when it comes to gender and sexuality mm-hmm. and identity politics. Um, and I mean identity politics in a more yeah. kind of um, yeah kind of theoretical um, sense there. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think that we need to um, we need to practice a bit more compassion and tolerance and, and patience and, and really try to find a way that we can we can understand e- each other and right. and connect over mm-hmm. these very um, you know binaristic and um, political divides. But, I mean, like like what you I mean, what we were commenting on earlier. Um, but that's exactly the po- the point. I mean, the fact that we take this critic this level of criticism, not just critique, but criticism to the notion of feminism and saying, well, it has to be perfect. It's really founded on moralistic approaches, which uh, which is where the flaw is, right? And it's the idea that it's and it's also a mechanistic task tactic to discur- to, to distract us from looking at the systems that are already in place that continue to maintain subordination, that continue to ensure that we maintain the invisibleness of the certain privileges encased mm-hmm. in, in 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 those in those in those interactions, um, and and it, it and it more or less is it's it's kind of it, it justifies the, the reason quote that we should not be even looking at feminism, right? It's mm. it's it's the very thing that's speaking truth to power and it's like any other knowledge it's evolving right it's it's a tactic by not looking at feminine feminism we, we maintain the notion that we already have and by putting this label on it that it has to be perfect it has to be the sale and be all more or less maintains the existing status quo because it's just a distracting mechanism that's what that that's what that argument really is yeah it's distracting from critique about patriarchy we're, yeah. we're yeah. holding feminism under the microscope and picking holes right. in it yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, feminism is a is a practice. It's not just a, it's not just a, and a it's discussion. such a broad school yeah, of thought. It um, it's a movement of people, and people are complex and and imperfect, and they they argue and and they fight each other. And you know, since when was was feminism like perfectly organized and executed from the beginning? I, I think we we need to see it fundamentally as as a human movement that is as flawed as as any other. Uh, movement, but it is a perspective that focuses on that 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 focuses on the equality of gender and sex and sex interactions, right? But it, it but in that focus, it, it's this, it, our goal as feminists is to challenge power, and and a challenge. That's interesting. That, I mean, that's what that's fundamentally that's what it is. The challenge the challenge the subordinate roles of genders that are considered othered mm. and sexes that are considered othered and sexualities that are considered othered, and we're about the equality of those pursuits. It's I think not a, about this every day. That, like, I mean, that's, what is feminism? That's you know? what. That's how I, I mean. I mean, I, I, I always find it interesting that in discussion of feminism, everyone takes like this, this, um, this identity approach to it, and you're entitled to that, and I get it. But fundamentally, the definition of feminism is about gender equality. It's about equality for men, equality for women, equality for trans, equality for you know gender, transsexual, sexuality. See, I see it more as a kind of liberation fight than a rights-based fight. Okay. Uh, 
but that is yeah. uh, another yeah. rabbit hole yeah, yeah, that yeah. we will uh, need to ask the yeah. Teaching Matters podcast team to uh, <laughs> to host. Uh, you know what we mean by kind of liberation versus a, a rights based. And you approach. talking and you responding to your own answers, Poppy. This was very much deflection into Amy interaction, and I was like, "Oh, Poppy, you answer your own questions, girl." Like, <laughs> girl with the U reclamation, reclamation, right? <laughs> So I need to, um, we, we now have like a quick fire round okay. because we're finishing, uh, if we stick to plan, yeah. in one minute. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'm going to ask you to, uh, maybe three questions. Yeah. And can you literally try and answer okay. it in yeah. like like three words yeah. or five seconds? Speed okay. date, let's that's, go. that's your challenge. Go. Okay. Speed date. What emotional impacts does teaching <laughs> and activism have <laughs> on you? <laughs> a lot. Three <laughs> um, words: depressing, uh, no, 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 uh, invigorating, tired, invigorating, inspiring, and remarkably overwhelming. That was spot on. You? What about you? I would say uh, exhausting, circular, and <laughs> it is, and um, uh, beautiful. Right. I love how random it is too. Like, students will come in yeah, and I, I get the most random thing, and I'm like, oh, girl, I need to do that, too. Like, when, like, when I'm on the train thing. after this, I'm going to think of, like, so many different words yeah. that I could have nice. used. Do you know what it's like when you look back? Yeah. Oh, why did I say that? I could have said this. Yeah. Where do you find healing, peace, and support for these front-facing organizing roles that you have? Um, uh, in intimate settings, of course, by my, my background um, in, my, in my private spaces. But actually, I come back to the place I started my research. What I love fundamentally about research is it's remarkable how like vain it is and all this stuff. When I go back to research, anytime I'm confused with something or overwhelmed, I go back and I'm like, okay, center yourself, find out where the evidence is, and then re- reconfigure your understandings. Mm. And I love the fact that if I don't have an answer, yeah. I can find my answer. Yeah. And that's kind of my holy grail. That's one of the reasons why I think I have so much respect for the field. No matter what people come up and pitch posh and all this little, like all kind of, kind of flamingoing and peacocking. I go back to the research, and I, I know that if it's if it's assessed and collected and ethical and, and and as accurate as possible for that moment, I can trust it, and it tells me how to reconfigure my understandings. And it, I'm, yeah. oh, that's where I center myself is back in the facts. Yeah, maybe that's a better question. How do you center yourself, or or like, what is your north star in teaching and, and activism? Speaking and, truth and research, right? Speaking truth, even if speaking it's not, your own truth. No, no, no. Even if it's not my own. Speaking truth, because a lot of times in the research, I find things that don't align with what I think, and it yeah. forces me to question where my knowledge is coming from. And if I'm not speaking truth, if I'm not coming from a place of objective notions from my, the research and questioning even how that's framed, then I'm failing my students. I'm failing as a researcher. I'm failing as an activist. So I'm always thinking about, look, how do I speak the truth, even if it's not what's not what, what wants to be heard, even if it's something I'm uncomfortable with, even if it challenges my notions, where's the truth in the research, if it's done correctly and accurately, now that as a researcher, I can assess that then I can trust this as a starting point. That's what I do. What about you? So I think it's so important to, as I say, have a North Star as a teacher or activist um, or researcher because, or if you do a combination of those things, because the work is is uh, immensely rewarding but really exhausting and laborious. So you often have to go back to that centre right. and say, why is it that I'm doing this? What is, what is my motive? What is my goal? Uh, what is the kind of essence to all of this? Um, and how does it chime with with who I think I am? Mm-hmm. Um, so I do yoga. <laughs> That's where I find my my healing and peace. I go. To, I try and go to yoga a couple of times a week. But I'm also conscious of not like seeking out 
like private options to deal with uh, these emotions because you know you'll just end up bankrupt if you go to like a thousand spa breaks a year so um, I like meditating um, and having conversations with people like you Amy oh, um, that that takes me back to the kind of genesis of my research and my activism which is my passion passion for eradicating gender-based violence right. um, well, we're coming back mine is fundamentally how do I help other women yeah and women like me or not like me, how do I help them? And if I'm keeping that as a focus and maintaining that truth in that center, then I hope... That's what your business card says. Yeah, Um, empowered women. Empowered empowered women. Sorry, getting tongue-tied there. Empower women. And I remember when you gave it to me and you really have followed through um, because you you always show up to my talks. I do. um, and my presentation. Because there's the alcohol. My women. <laughs> yeah, we vibe on that level. And, and my women's circles. And, um, you know, you, you, you practice feminist solidarity. Mm. Um, so do you. What is feminist solidarity? That's another question. So finally, uh, what does the future hold for you in academia and feminist work? And I'd like you to answer this yeah. in one. Public engagement. Word. Okay. You. Uh, it requires it to me. It absolutely requires it. Because then it becomes esoteric and it stays within the institution. And then I've failed as a researcher. My, my research is for other people. For women, it's for, it's, for fe- it's for feminist pursuit. So if it's not moving outside of academia, I've already failed as an educator and a researcher. I would like to say for me, it would either be learning. So I, I never want to get complacent and think that um, I've reached this point of saturation. There's always uh, more to learn in... Uh, feminism and in your kind of practices as as an activist maybe another word I'd use is professionalizing so I'm thinking of like creating my own website or something for my fe- for my uh, women's circles I'd maybe like to professionalize them mm-hmm. um yeah and hopefully get scouted for doing them so that's just a cheeky plug uh, to finish with <laughs> thank you for thank having you for us having- feminist love and uh, solidarity yeah, to absolutely. all of you and thanks for listening thank you